Angie, what happened in July of 2020? Uh, in July of 2020 was the date that Grant went to be with God. He, he passed. That was the last day that I was mom. Kills me every day. He's not here. Miss Angie, we need to tell you something. And I said, okay. And he said, uh, the voice said, Mr. Mr. Aaron did it. Of course he did it. This was a more of a marriage by convenience or arrangement. I knew him in high school because he stalked me. It became incredibly violent, uh, particularly when the children went to bed. And he had told me that if I told anyone uh, what was going on in the house, I would never see my kids again. Hello, you are listening to Proverbs with Daisy Maskell. It is me, Daisy. Welcome. This is a podcast all about extraordinary people and extraordinary stories. Here we will shine the spotlight on their journeys and hopefully learn something about ourselves and the way that we live our lives from their experiences too. Join me as we get to know our guest. On July 20th, 2020, 18-year-old Grant Solomon was killed. His dad, Aaron, was the only witness. He claimed that his son's truck rolled back as he was getting something out of the trunk, dragging him underneath and crashing into a ditch at the foot of a parking lot. His death was immediately ruled as a traffic accident, but friends and family felt as though the evidence was not adding up. The domestic violence and sexual abuse allegations made by Aaron's ex-wife and daughter only added fuel to the fire and has led to a social media campaign for justice. Angie Solomon, Grant's mum and Aaron's ex-wife is here to share her story and her family's too. Angie, how has things been for you and your daughter over the past few years? past few years, I think we would probably say would be since Grant passed or was taken, have been very, uh, our, our lives were made unbearably difficult by my former husband, uh, or my former person, I call him, and her father and Grant's father for the past, it's actually 10 year anniversary this uh, month and actually the last 20 years for me. So um, as horrible as that life of terror was, the last since Grant left that has been amplified. And for one, we have something they call grief that I still am not sure that we know what that is. I mean, to me, that's it's absence and silence and it kills me every day. He's not here. Um, but past that, we've had to, uh, we had to two months to the day her father came after her and um, two months to the day of Grant's passing, Aaron came after Gracie. So we immediately went into protection mode of her. And from there, uh, Gracie was fear- was incredibly fearful and rightfully so that she would be next. She asked to release her own video uh, to social media so that if she, her exact question to me was, if I die, uh, my story will die. Uh, the truth will die with me. And I need to make sure I've got this recorded. She was uh, 12. And so I agreed that that should be done. And we put it in a vault. And then when it got time that we realized the judges were going to give Gracie back to Aaron, it was released to the public and then really saved uh, her life. But it also, looking back, it saved mine too. And then immediately after Grant's passing, Saturday, he was laid to rest and um, I allowed myself to take a sleeping pill on Saturday night, which was the first one. It was doctor prescribed, but it was the first one I let myself take since it, the day it happened. 
which was Monday, July 20, 20th, 2020. And I allowed myself to take something so that I could sleep that night. I slept well. And then I got up the next morning, realized he's not here again. And then on and on uh, Monday morning, we started, my, uh, one of my best friend and I started trying to gather information for Grant. And I have been doing that since we adopted in January, like I was saying, of 2021, a phrase that the last thing that Grant texted his uh, travel baseball team, who was at the national championships in um, Atlanta, and Grant couldn't go because um, he had just gotten over COVID and he was struggling with his lungs. So the last thing he texted his friends were, or teammates was keep winning. So in 2021, Gracie and I, I said, why don't we just adopt that phrase? And she's like, yeah. And I said, it doesn't mean keep winning and beating people, although we can fight and beat people like that, you know, as far as courts and things like that. But how about it just means like today we drank our water or we just did something for ourselves that meant we were winning. Like if we, if we need to take a nap because we're exhausted from everything that's going on, that's okay. And so, and a keep winning could also mean, you know, like her succeeding in track or her going to practice and, you know, running an extra mile. And for me, it could, it's not going to ever for me be running ever, but it could be something else like getting outside and, and meditating or enjoying my flowers and things like that. So we adopted that phrase in 2021 and we've really never let go of it. So we're just right now, we're just one foot in front of the other and keep winning. That is an absolutely incredible motto. And you and your daughter, you are just such incredible people. And I can see that you really are each other's strength as well. And that is so beautiful to witness. I wanted to go back to the beginning, Angie, if we could, the start of you and your former person, Aaron's relationship. You knew each other from high school and you soon feel pregnant with your first child. What was your relationship like together in those early years? This was a more of a marriage by convenience or arrangement. I knew him in high school because he stalked me, which I found out later through a very wonderful domestic violence, women survivors counselor, Dr. Ruth Smith, who explained to me the pattern of stalking, narcissism, and psychopaths. And so early on, I met him because I played basketball against his sister at rival schools. He was not in my life at all. I thought I treated him poorly because he weirded me out. And then he came back around and he still wasn't someone I wanted to like hang out with. I did feel like I had not treated him well, and that bothered me. And it wouldn't have bothered me except he he was when I came back from pharmacy school in Memphis, he was on my TV every day Ugh, because he had made it in the sports in at Channel 4 here in Nashville. And, you know, that positions like that and celebrities don't not to be rude. They don't impress me. Athletes impress me with God given ability. But I, I mean, I look at them just the way I look at anyone else. So it wasn't had it didn't have anything to do with that. It um, I had just made a list that January on New Year's Eve that I would reconnect with all the people that I had either I felt like I needed to apologize to or that I needed to, I wanted to reconnect with because I went to pharmacy, I went to a college, pharmacy school, and I met a lot of people that didn't stay friends who maybe fooled me, but then I met, I'd lost the contact with so many great friends from high school. So I was reconnecting and he was on the list because I felt like I had treated him, as I said, poorly, which really was actually not. So the message that I say here is women, men, whatever it is, trust your gut and yeah. When you, when you have had a really bad feeling about someone before saying, no, I don't want to go out with you or no, I don't want you to show up at all my ball games and me go out the back door is not being unkind. It's actually protecting yourself. Absolutely. But that was not the way I was raised in conservative church, the church of Christ, at least in my area. So I just emailed him and he emailed me back. I just said, you're doing a great job and I'm 
you know, glad that you've, you know, found your niche in life. You know, I just got out of pharmacy school and I was doing very well. And he kept pursuing, pursuing. And finally I met him for lunch. And then he offered to go to Jacksonville to a Titans game. And I went, and that's how the relationship became a relationship. Um, there was non-consensual sex there in the middle of the night. And I um, never told Grant, but that's what Grant was born out of. And I would never trade my children. They're so beautiful and wonderful for anything, anything, any of this. No, but I would have never brought any child into what we've lived. That's kind of a double-edged sword. But the, the relationship was more of one where he immediately took control of, I was a pharmacist, I had a house, I had cars, my car, I had two boxers, and he immediately um, had his name on my house, he had his name on my bank accounts, and he had his name on my um, my vehicle. So he immediately became owner of everything that I owned, and then he took control of the my bank account, which I made three, four times as much as he did, power and control will, and that was really the way the first the years were. It was, um, he did what he did. He worked odd hours because sports are odd hours and news is odd hours. And just very little attention was paid to him by me or by Grant. Grant was an old soul. Grant, I was a mom. It was so much fun. And we just did our thing with the dogs and Grant. And, you know, I just remember Aaron would be there on occasion, but not a lot, but I wasn't doing anything more than being a mom going and working and making sure that Grant was well taken care of. Gracie came along just about the same way Grant did in 2006. And even though prior to that, Grant and I, he was very precocious, he was an old soul, was very highly intelligent. And he would say to me, something's wrong with dad. And we both agreed that he was just a bit off. And we would ask him, like, do you have early onset dementia? Because he would be right in the middle of doing something and then stop and go do something else and then forget that he, that he had been to work that day or forget that he had just eaten dinner. And Grant, a little five-year-old Grant would say, we just ate. We just, and so we developed, we recognized, I recognized that he had either early onset dementia or dissociative identity disorder. Gracie came along and things got more intense. When Gracie was born, Aaron just really wanted to take her for himself. And he was adamant about that. In 2008, he lost his job at Channel 4 and he wanted me to work two jobs. And so I wouldn't be at home at all. And he became incredibly angry at Grant and me, but he treated Gracie in a very sick way, like a doll. It was when she was five, it was always abusive, but at the first half was more abuse of control, who I spoke to, what I did. He would go with me to every doctor appointment, to every hair appointment, to nails appointments, they all kind of just to sit beside me. But then after Gracie was born, it was very clear that that was when things became aggressive. That was when I found out about, uh, the prostitutes he was engaging with. Um, after that, then I started to do what he said no too much. And there, it became incredibly violent, uh, particularly when the children went to bed, but they could hear that. So it, they started to sleep in my bed and the violence just continued to increase. He lost his job with the news station in 2011, tried to get another job that, and no one would pick him up. And he was the anchor of the year, the year before, which was very telling to me that there's more going on here than I have paid attention to. Um, I had a chance to leave him. I did not because of my uh, back, my religious background. And um, another, that was another mistake. I've had a lot of counseling to try to forgive myself for many mistakes I made, but I've also accepted that I was a domestic violence victim of the worst kind. And 
that this is actually predictable, this cycle. So we got to a point where it actually became threats to my life. Um, he wouldn't let me bathe Gracie. He would try to beat Grant. I threw myself in front of Grant to keep him from getting beaten with a belt one night. And it was that night, that same night that he tried to put the um, hairdryer cord around my neck to kill me. And Grant walked into the room. I thought my screaming his name, which always worked. So this was a lifestyle that we were living. And he had told me that if I told anyone uh, what was going on in the house, I would never see my kids again. I believe that. He was coming into a multi-million dollar trust. And that night, um, because I'd been in that situation before where he was trying to kill me, I thought screaming his name always worked. And that night it wasn't working as fast, or maybe, maybe it was because of my situation was so, my feet were wet in the shower. If I'd fallen, it would have not, it would have been the same result as if being strangled. So I was very terrified and Grant just stepped into the room. My screaming his name and Grant stepping into the room made him stop and run. Looking back on all of it, it was just absolute uh, torture. All three of us before that night that Gracie had come and told me six weeks before that, that Aaron was um, doing really bad things to her in the bath and um, with her privates. And that's when I realized that the focus that I had on myself and just trying to survive the domestic violence at night and not tell anyone, uh, he had actually, I never thought he would target my daughter and he did. So I knew I had to get us out. And that planning and plotting to get us out was what resulted in that incident on May the 10th of 2013. Um, he left for a couple of days. I went about my own business. I took care of the kids. I went to, I went to a, um, a trip to the zoo, a chaperoned things like that. And then all of a sudden he walked back in two or three days after this attack and my parents were with them and they said, we're going to commit you to the hospital. And the whole plan there was they were going to basically take me to the hospital and try to commit me. And they thought that, and while they were doing that, I would be tied up and they would take my kids. And so that's what happened. They took me to the hospital and the hospital could immediately tell that they were lying. Um, I didn't know that they were using, that Aaron would try to, had tried to murder me. I mean, I'm sorry that I tried to commit suicide. I, I wouldn't tell the nurses what happened because I told them if I tell, I would lose my children. And they said, Angie, we can tell because they're outside screaming that you tried to commit suicide and you have no marks. And I was like, they're saying what? And so um, I was just in the ER, but the doctors were terrified that they were going to harm me. So they were trying to formulate a plan. And while they were, while everyone was formulating a plan, uh, when Aaron and my parents finally left the hospital, which they told them to leave, they took my children and he filed for divorce and he um, got an order of protection against me, against my children. And I, that was the last day that I was mom. Angie, what happened in July of 2020? Uh, in July of 2020, was the date that Grant went to be with God. And um, he, he passed. There was only one witness. And that witness was his father, Aaron. Continuing the conversation on Proverbs after this short break. Now, if you know me, you will know I am not a big fan of New Year's resolutions. For me, the pressure of starting something new in January has seen me fail over and over again. What I like to do instead is I like to give myself a little bit of time to settle into the year so I can actually figure out what goals I actually want to achieve. Now, one of my biggest goals this year is to be able to confidently speak in a new language. And this is something that I have been trialing and failing at and also working at for a really, really long time. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think about what you're wanting to achieve. 
what can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? Now, if you are like me and one of your goals is to learn a new language, you absolutely need to get Babbel. And I'm so excited to chat to you about this. Now, in just a few weeks of using Babbel, I have progressed my language skills in ways that I have never done before. And I've been using Babbel's 10 minute lessons, which are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. What I love the most about Babbel is that it's designed by real people for real conversations. And I think this is something where I've gone wrong before. I have been learning French on and off since I was nine years old. That is over a decade and a half now. Yet I still didn't feel confident in my communication. I was learning through textbooks, but I was actually lacking that human connection in my vocabulary. Babbel's courses have helped me to learn real life conversation skills, to speak confidently and clearly in a way that locals will understand as Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent too. It's enabled me to be able to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants, all without ever having to consult my language at whilst on vacation. Now, studies from Yale, Michigan State University and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Now, I actually have a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, you can get up to 60% off of your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com forward slash proverbs. Now, you can get 60% off at babbel.com slash proverbs, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash proverbs. Rules and restrictions may apply. I could have flipped it over myself if my son was under it, or if I couldn't, I would have been under there with him. No one did anything to help him. No CPR, no uh, conversation, no, you know, hang on, you're gonna, you're gonna make it. If I had been there, he wouldn't be gone. That's a fact. I really hate that I wasn't there. Power, control, connections, money. When did you first start having suspicions surrounding Grant's death? Immediately, as as it was being unfolded, nothing made sense. But Aaron had me so busy, like he was a professional at planning a funeral or something. He had me so busy that I didn't stop and think. But, I, but it it was Wednesday night, so this was a Monday. Nothing was making sense to me. I know how he manipulates. I know how he likes to say one thing when he really means the other. But I couldn't think through that piece of the, of it. It was Wednesday night. I was here, here, right here where we are right today. And I was in my bedroom. Now, mind you, I was not answering phones. I was, I was distraught. I was also trying to take care of Gracie. I was, there were people in the house that I was lost without Grant. I, but my phone was lying on the bed and it rang and it was a number I don't recognize. I mean, I, I would not, but something told me to answer that call. And I did. 
And it was Grant's friends. I introduced, I ended up calling them the band of brothers. It was like 60 or 70 of them that were staying together at another friend's house, all of them in one house for the whole week, they stayed together. And they had been investigating this since they found out Monday when I told them. And then on Tuesday, they went out to investigate. And on Wednesday night, one of the friends called and I could hear the, from a, from like the phone in the map code, not a cell phone. And I could hear a lot of other ones in the background, but they were just about a mile up the street here. And they called and said, Miss Angie, we need to tell you something. And I said, okay. And he said, uh, the voice said, Mr. Mr. Aaron did it. My exact reaction was, oh, of course he did it. Now it all makes sense. Their relationship had been coming to a head. Grant had just turned 18 and he did not want the life that Aaron wanted him to live. He wanted to do things differently with baseball and didn't want to go far away, wanted to stay close to home. And this was not Aaron's plan for his trophy. That's all Grant was, was a trophy. And he, that was not his plans. Not just that, but Grant was going to expose his, which I did not know. He was going to expose his father in court for the abuse, the sexual assault abuse that he had perpetrated on Gracie all these years. And he was going to get custody of her because the courts had always been in Aaron's pocket. So Aaron would be exposed. Then I started to ask, I'd already been asking questions about this, but he would dodge them. But there was only one injury to Grant. It was the back of his head. That was it. It was blood force trauma. So that meant it had to be something cylindrical, not a rock or being dragged. There was no scrapes or scratches. I just started to put everything together. But immediately I said, okay, okay. The guys, all of the guys would come. We have a condo and all the guys would be crowded in this condo and all the girls and everyone until like they would show up about 11 at night and be here till like three in the morning. And that's how we all survived the week. So I said, well, I'll see you all tonight. My two best friends were in the kitchen and I called them into my bedroom and I said, is there something you're keeping from me? And they said, um, we don't think things add up. And I said, why didn't you tell me this? Well, we don't want to put more on you than you can handle. I said, I can handle anything. I've lived through 20 years of torture. I can handle this. And so they're like, yeah, we think Aaron did it. And so I said, okay, fine. Told them to leave. And I called Gracie in. And I said, and Gracie crawled in her, her side of the bed at that time. And I said, hey, bug. I said, when I called you at your friend's house, she spent the night with a friend the night before, which she terribly regrets because she didn't get to see Grant. But I said, when I called you to tell you that you need to come to the hospital, Grant had an accident. What did you think? And she said, I thought dad did it. And I said, and when you got to the hospital and it was just you and me in that room, and I told you Grant didn't make it, what was your first thought? And she said, dad did it. And so from that moment on, we all knew who had done it. How did law enforcement handle this, Angie? Did, did they have suspicions? How did they handle the evidence in this case? Did they not understand or acknowledge that there were key things in Grant's death that just did not add up? None of the above. So the police that showed up on the scene took Aaron's word for what happened, called it a parking lot incident, which it was not. It was on government property. And they closed the case in 20 minutes. They literally wiped Grant off the face of the earth in... 50. 50 minutes, the scene was cleared. So not only did they not look into Grant's situation as officers and go, whoa, we know this is an 18-year-old boy. We need to investigate this. Not, not as a part of all of the what we've just talked about, the backstory, but just what they've got on the scene. No, mm -hmm. but as police officers doing a report, they didn't even properly execute that by protocol. 
So they never did anything by protocol to begin with. And then just police protocol, but then to take the only witness's statement, which could not have been true. He said he was dragged down like 60 feet under a truck. And yet he had no bruises, burns, scratches, markings. And the, I mean, and they said, okay, case closed. In that, Aaron was claiming that maybe the truck had malfunctioned or that was the first statement. He's had several, but maybe the truck malfunctioned. And, you know, we, we do have laws, rules and regulations to impound vehicles that we think may have harmed people to, to make sure that vehicle doesn't malfunction again. They sent the truck to a mom and pop tow lot, so to speak, an independent tow lot. And Aaron picked it up two days later and drove it for six months. That was, and that, I mean, no one did anything. The police here didn't do their jobs as protocol. And then they didn't do their jobs as even looking into anything that didn't add up. Why do you believe Aaron hasn't been brought to justice? Power, control, connections, money. It's the good old boys. It's a good old boy network. It's very much like, I'm sure this has been talked about around the world, but the Murdoch case in South Carolina, it's, it's almost identical. We have different pieces of the story that are different, but inevitably it's all the same. I'm positive that just like the tweet I got yesterday, you know, that reporter he wanted to, he wanted to report. He saw it. He feels terrible for Grant, feels terrible for us. It wasn't his fault when he took it back to the producers of the news station who said, oh no, and we don't want to, we're not going to, we're not going to go forward with that story at all. I said, that's insanity, but that's what they've been doing. So it's the same. It's, it's the good old boy network and the, the Tennessee media bubble. They want us to go away, which is ludicrous it's an 18 year old boy. And at that time, still considered a minor in as far as he lived with me, 18 is considered an adult, but he was still a student. He was just going into a senior year. So this is basically a child who has lived a life of terror and they want it to go away just like they want, like Gracie's. I mean, Gracie has told her story so many times. And at the time people believe her, but when it gets on up into higher power structures, it's wiped off. Though. It's just wiped away. And he walks a free man right now today. Angie, I'm just going to pick back up just because I want to make sure I, I give some sort of clarity on this. But would you mind explaining what happened to Grant and what his cause of death was? And I want to add too, to that that morning when he left, he said something. He did not want to go there. He wasn't well. And he also it was the first time he would be alone with his uh, father in two years. And so when he was walking out the door, Aaron would have no, he wasn't well. And Grant kept saying, why would I do this? This was a pitching evaluation, a major league style. So it was just to check baseball speed on the pitch, the different rotations, what pitch, pitch he should throw in certain situations. And he was like, why would I go do this? If I'm not hundred percent, it costs a lot of money, but it was also a building that looked like a dumpster with doors, but Aaron would take no, no for an answer. And the night before Grant told him he didn't want him to come and he would take no for an answer. And then when Grant was leaving that morning, right at that door over there, he said something so out of character. He said, mom, I don't want to die in Gallatin today. So I did everything I could to go with him, but I thought it was his lungs, but no, he was not going to, he did not want me to go. So obviously he knew there was more to things than I knew. An hour after he left, I got a call that he was dead in Gallatin and it was Aaron and Aaron never calls. He only texts uh, for 20 years. He requires texts. So he has a record of everything everyone says to him. 
Um, but he called me to tell me that. And I knew immediately it was Grant. So at the time that he called me, I did hear police officers yelling at him that he was not going with the ambulance. One of the employees from Ward Performance Institute said a call came in and everyone just stopped and he let him go. So his first story to me then was while I was on the road. So what he told me was that the truck had flipped over. Now I used to work level one trauma. Uh, I, I was a student in level one trauma at Vanderbilt when I was going through pharmacy school. So I knew a little about what we're dealing with here. So I, my questions to him were, where exactly is Grant? He's in the ditch. The truck has flipped over on him as in it had gone from sitting upright to on, the, on its side, okay? And it was laying on Grant. And he said that Grant was trapped under it from the pelvis down and he was hemorrhaging from the mouth. What that told me was that we've got, he's gonna be okay as long as we can get the bleeding stopped. Well, my best friend's husband is also my doctor, but he was waiting by the phone mm -hmm. to, for me to run things by him, which I did. And we both came to the agreement that as long as they get the bleeding stopped, we're probably looking at long, I was thinking baseball's done for a while, yeah. you know, rehab, things like that. So that's the story he left me with. That's totally intentional. Mm -hmm. Because when I got to the hospital, I couldn't, Grant looked perfect, completely perfect. Like he had just got out of the shower because they had the sheet pulled up to his, mm -hmm. what, to his waist. And I looked under the sheet and the, everything is perfect. Feet, legs, knees, elbows, arms, but they had his head in the cup to hold his head up. And the nurses told me he has an open skull fracture. Mm -hmm. And that, and that's what he succumbed to. But then they said, but his injuries don't match the accident description. Well, understand that I did have not, at this moment, I have not seen what Aaron would eventually start to tell in multiple stories. So when I got the police report back, and then two nights later, when he told me the original story, I said, Aaron, I need to know as little as I engaged with him that week, I engaged with him for Grant. I said, can you please explain to me like what part of the truck was lying on Grant? Was it the front of the truck? Because the engine would be heavier, right? Was it the middle? Did they offer you an autopsy? No, no. What part of the truck? Because I was thinking that part would be heavier, this part, and then the back would be the lightest, right? And Grant was 6'4", 210, full of muscle, big, mm -hmm. huge. But he said, that truck wasn't laying on Grant. That truck, he was just under the truck. I'm like, what? And that's when I heard the version that he would tell the police, that he would tell, that he was telling all the other people in town and just had not told me. So that's, and so this version changed multiple times, but the gist is that he and Grant pulled up into the parking lot at the same time. And it's, it, this parking lot is very steeply sloped. And then it slopes into a very steep ditch filled with riprap. And so, uh, which are the giant rocks from like the quarry, the, when we blow mm -hmm. them up, put them in the, yeah. And he said that uh, he looked up and he saw Grant 25 minutes early, which Grant didn't do anything early, but saw him get out of his truck and he said he was going toward the back to get his baseball gear, which Grant kept his baseball gear in the um, this was a Toyota Tacoma. Um, and he and Grant gets his baseball gear always out of the second door behind the driver. Not baseball players don't keep their gear out in the elements, but he changed that to he was getting his gear and he had the door open and he looked down to check email. And when he looked back up, 
the truck was gone. And he got out of his car and he looked and the truck was in the ditch. Now he goes on to say on record, everything that he never saw Grant, never saw him. But he also says that he saw him. He says that when he went to the edge of the ditch, he didn't see Grant in the cab of the truck, but he saw his red shirt under it. He told 911 operator that the truck had dragged him from the top of the parking lot down across this very rough old pavement for about 30, 40 feet down into the ditch. And the truck had come up the other side of the ditch pinning Grant underneath the truck. The bottom of the truck would have been incredibly hot also because Grant had an hour drive out there. So the undercarriage would have been hot, but the story cannot be true. First of all, the physics, it defies physics and it defies gravity, but it also defies logic in the human brain. You can't be dragged across all of this down into a rocky ditch and have zero Mm -hmm. injuries, except the one on the back of the head. Dragging injuries are very terrible injuries to view in the hospital in a, in a hospital setting when they come in uh, because it just erodes the skin. It's not even, uh, you know, when, when you fall on pavement, you're going to get a really rough mark. You're going to get a really rough mark on your skin. But if you're dragged, you're going to get worse, worse than that. That was his story. And um, that's what he wrote on the police report, which they made him do at the scene. And, you know, right there, that cannot be true because when you get to the hospital and you see Grant, He has no marks, no injuries. He had two bruises on his hips, but I looked at them. That was from sliding in baseball. So every baseball season, Grant would have, you know, where they slide into second base head first. That's what he was always a head first slider. And he would always have open strawberries or bruises on his hips from doing that. So those were, that was what that was because I, because I saw them. And then um, the only other injury he had was a lick to the jaw here. That was very, it hadn't come like completely bruised out yet, which would be normal. It just had a small bruise here where his glasses had hit and popped off and they were sports goggles. So they were made to do that. And then they had the blood force trauma, the open skull fracture to his occipital bone. And that was it. His cause of death was cardiac arrest due to blood force trauma. And the, the doctor at the hospital called Grant's death 18 minutes after Grant arrived because of the time he spent under the truck without assistance. When the paramedics arrived, they could, and I got to talk to them personally before everyone shut down and lawyered up. I had questions like, I wanted to know if Grant was awake. I wanted to know if Grant was asking for me. I wanted to know everything about them getting there. Every, just everything. I, of course, had an agenda to find out what really happened there because at that point I was investigating for Grant. But I also wanted just to talk to the people who had been with my son when he had his, you know, last heartbeat. They said that um, when they arrived on scene, you could no one could see Grant. He was completely under the truck, and the only way to see him was to come to the front of the truck, get down, and look under. Right there is a contradiction because if Aaron said he saw him multiple times. And on the 911 call, he says he's bleeding from his mouth. He says that he's knocked out. There's no way Aaron could have known that because Aaron never went down there. If he knows those things, he was down there before paramedics and police arrived. Because after people arrived, he never went to Grant. Even when the 911 operator said, go to your son, he needs someone to talk, to hear. He needs to hear a voice. Aaron said, somebody talk to him. He did, he did not go down there, but the paramedics said that the truck wasn't, that Grant was on his back. 
facing upward and that the weight of the truck was not on him. He was just lying under the truck. On the 911 call, Aaron says, well, maybe he didn't have it in park or maybe he, no, when, when they got to the truck, the truck was in park and the keys were in the ignition. And Grant never gets out of his truck without his keys in his pocket. Someone pulled the truck over Grant, put it in park, and left the keys in the ignition. No one did anything to help him. No CPR, no uh, conversation, no, you know, hang on, you're going you're gonna to make it. No consoling, nothing. No praying, nothing. They just, there were supposed to be three men there with Aaron. He says, I've got three men here. Those three men have never been found. They were never interviewed by police and they apparently weren't in the parking lot. And none of those three men four were there and they didn't do anything to lift the truck. They didn't do anything to flip it over. I could have flipped it over myself if my son was under it. Or if I couldn't, I would have been under there with him. If I had been there, he wouldn't be gone. That's a fact. I really hate that I wasn't there. Angie, I want to ask you what Grant was like. What are what are some of the favorite memories you you have of him growing up? <laughs> oh my gosh! I, the first thing that just came to my mind is he was so funny. He was mm-hmm. so funny. He had a knack for knowing when people were in pain or suffering, you know, depressed or sad or hurting, and he would uh, reach out to them. He was very full of God and Christ, and he always made himself lesser than everyone else. It didn't matter, uh, like on on a baseball team, if someone considered Grant, like, oh my gosh, it's Grant, you know, or he's a junior, just that, you know, it's scary to the freshmen and underclassmen, but he would make a point to reach out and bring them into the group. People at school were being bullied. Grant would put a stop to it, but then also bring that person into the group. Grant changed lives. He was very, very uh, brilliant as a child. He was, it was uh, uncanny. He spoke when he was six weeks old. The first word he said was dog because we had two boxers. <laughs> this little, little fellow with a big head. And he said dog. And I was like, what did you say? And then, then I was at the changing table coming toward him and he goes, ma. So I got number two at least, <laughs> but, um, but he said it at like six weeks old and it just completely. So I had to try to recreate it and it just, I videoed it. And so he talked very, very early he was very precocious. Yeah, he loved dinosaurs. We could not, we we could not get, an, I couldn't find enough dinosaur books, memorabilia, and he would learn their names and he would, um, not just simple ones, hard ones. He also uh, loved books. So like, if I needed to get things done, I would put him in his playpen and he would be uh, so content with just a stack of books, like a stack. You know, he would sit there like Indian style with a diaper on and he would take one book and re- read it, oh. you know, his way, whatever. And then he would put it in the opposite corner because that was, I'm already finished with that one. And as he got older, he, you know, two or three years old, he was in gifted classes. His IQ was off the charts. He was in classes at Vanderbilt University when he was in seventh grade and he developed a way to heat and cool stadium seats using nanotechnometry. Um, when he passed, he was a state uh, semi-finalist, uh, national merit semi-finalist. School was so easy for him because he had a photographic and auditory memory, which I was very jealous of. But that was just a sidebar. His in- intellect was just a sidebar to who he was. He was mm-hmm. 
old soul. He loved old music, Frank Sinatra, and he sang Fly Me to the Moon. Oh, and Elvis. So he had this amazing voice, but he was just, I don't know how he had enough time in his days, but he was everything to every person. Mm -hmm. Um, Even to the point that three different females, I, I don't know who they are. If they hear any of these, I, I wish they would connect with me again because I, I, it was after the service um, and one at the, one at the visitation, two at the service told me that they, they individually came to me and they told me that they were ready. There's a bridge here in town that's been unfortunately famous for people jumping and they were ready to end their lives. And for some reason, Grant called them. And he, so he just knew he was, he was just really, uh, he knew how to be serious and well, well done and well groomed and well etiquette and all of these things when he needed to be. And he also knew when he could just completely be a total goof. And that that's really who he was. He was just, uh, and the, and the other thing is he was a protector while he was doing all of that. He was absolutely 24 seven protecting his sister, whether it be, you know, for the last two years, they lived with me. We got the grant, got in the truck, got them in the truck and escaped them from the, from, from Aaron. Mm -hmm. And they lived with me, but even then he was still protecting Gracie because he would agree to go throw baseball or something with Aaron to appease him thinking that if he saw Grant, maybe he would lay off Gracie a little. And, and um, it wasn't until he was gone that we realized that we knew he was protecting her. She knew he protected her when they were with Aaron all those years that Aaron had taken the children, but we didn't know how much he was protecting her until he wasn't here and Aaron had free reign. And that's when he came after her. But, but what he, Grant was, is, is a hero, but he didn't have to be, but he chose that. I know that. And he think that says all, and we need to say about him because he he knew that what he was doing would begin to expose his father regardless. And he he knew when he left this house, it might not have been that day, but he knew things were coming to that point. I'm confident that he knew that uh, you know, it would it would end up like that, uh, with with Aaron, um, which I fully believe Aaron killed him. And um, I believe Grant knew that would happen. Um, You know, we've been able, fortunately, to keep Aaron at bay and fight him off because of the podcast and YouTubers and where you and how we've broken the media bubble here in Tennessee, that's really um, added a layer of protection. But I know Grant is orchestrating this from, I just know that up above because I can just tell. Um, that there's a power, God, and there's a power that's much larger than the power that's in the state. Mm-hmm. And I've always known that, but I'm actually seeing that actually being activated and work right now. But Gracie said to me, might've been a year ago, but it still stands true today. She said, mom, you know, since Grant has gone, I haven't been touched inappropriately. I haven't been drugged by Aaron. I haven't been hurt by Aaron. I haven't been raped by Aaron. And you know what? That's true. So really that's who Grant was. You know what, Angie? Grant Grant made more of an impact in people's lives in the 18 years that he lived. And I'm sure you've heard this before 
than some people can make in a lifetime, which just shows how much of an incredible person he, he is. He is, yes. I have trouble with the is, was, but you're right. And mm -hmm. those stories go on and on and on and on. And I sometimes I just sit in amazement that mm -hmm. because he never let on. Like that was something mm -hmm. he was doing, but um, but he did. He had he made an impact everywhere he went. And he still is today. A lot of people will connect to me and say, you know, and Gracie got a message from, I think it was China, but it was on the other, she said, I'm on the other side of the world. But I saw, and I follow true crime, but I saw a picture of Grant. She said, I can't explain it, but he just, I feel like I've known him all my life. Mm -hmm. And that's really, we're getting that all the time. His smile, it just, it just, he just is still making an impact. He still makes an impact even before people know the story, which is, and then he makes an impact. It's just amazing. Uh, when I think about that piece that it's, he created and has and continues to create such a mark in people's lives. What are your hopes for the future and how can we support you and Gracie to try and get you both some answers? We need as much uh, coverage, media coverage, uh, international, national, worldwide, as we can get. Mm -hmm. We want justice for Grant, uh, and we won't stop until we get that. Uh, we want justice for Gracie, and I won't stop until I get that. And, and you know, they both deserve justice, but also, as Gracie puts it, you know, she confidently will not have peace until Aaron is put away mm -hmm. uh, where he belongs, or he's not here, either way. Mm -hmm. um, but what we need is support. Our biggest thing right now that we're doing, um, we have a plan. Uh, uh, we've got an, uh, I've got an attorney that is um, not a good old boy. Uh, he is actually opposite of that. He has a plan to file things for Gracie this summer along these regards. So there's legal expense. I do everything I can to put everything toward her legal expense and grants, but, and on Grant's side, it's exhumation, uh, I'm I, it's very clear to me that I am going to have to do an independent, even if the, even if the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation came to me tomorrow and said, oh, we're going to, we're going to do an investigation. I, no one here in Tennessee can be trusted. So um, it's very clear that I'm going to have to do an independent investigation and that will cost a lot of money. And so I'm going to do uh, exhumation, autopsy, and an accident reconstruction, which should have been done at the scene and was not. And I do have, Aaron had his truck and he scrapped it at a scrapyard and got money for it, but I found that truck. So I do have it and we'll be able to use the exact truck that Grant was in that day. But um, those are the things that from, and from that, it would be a grand jury indictment. And so we've got a GoFundMe justice for Grant. And right now it's just in order for me to fight this large group, I'm fighting the more funds that we have available to fight them. Um, everything is, is, is in a foundation and it goes straight to a foundation, which goes straight to the attorneys that are going to handle all of these things. But, um, you know, I've got to make sure Gracie has peace for the, she deserves peace for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. And um, the only, we know he's out there and we know that we're on his list. He bought our gray plots and he put our name on them. So that's, that is something that I'm always aware of. And that is something that I'm not going to allow to happen. Spreading the word, helping to get coverage, getting this out there. And if anyone has any ability to help, 
with funds, like I said, that's in a protected account that goes straight to attorneys that are going to handle those things I just mentioned. It's really to get freedom. Ultimately, it will get freedom for Gracie. And so she won't have to worry about protection um, and live in fear. Thank you so much, Angie, for sharing your story. I am sending both you and Gracie all of the love in the world. And I truly hope that one day in the very near future, all three of you will receive the justice you all greatly deserve. Thank you so much, Daisy. You've been so kind to listen. And that concludes this episode of Proverbs with Daisy Maskell. That is me. I hope you enjoyed it. Hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And I will see you soon.